Section 48 of Greece and Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. The World's Story, Volume 4, Greece and Rome. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 48. The Geese That Saved the Capital. 364 B.C. By Thomas Arnold. The Gauls from the north had pushed down into Italy, and had either slain or driven away the Etruscans. In 364 B.C. they pressed on still farther south, forced the gates of Rome, and plundered the city. The Editor The mass of the commons had fled from Rome with their wives and children, or, having escaped from the rout of the Aelia, had taken refuge at Veii. The flower of the patricians and of the citizens of the richer classes of an age to bear arms had retired into the capital, to defend to the last that sanctuary of their country's gods. The flamen of Quirinius and the Vestal Virgins had departed with the sacred things committed to their charge out of the reach of danger. But there were other ministers of the gods whom their duty did not compel to leave Rome, whom their age rendered unable to join in the defense of the capital, and who could not endure to be a burden upon those whose strength allowed them to defend it. They could not live the few remaining years of their lives in a foreign city. But as they could not serve their country by their deeds, they wished at least to serve it by their deaths. So they, and others of the old patricians, who had filled the highest offices in the commonwealth, met together. And Marcus Fabius, the chief pontifex, recited a solemn form of words, which they each repeated after him, devoting to the spirits of the dead and to the earth the common grave of all living, themselves and the army of the Gauls together with themselves, for the welfare and deliverance of the people of the Romans and of the Quirites. Then, as men devoted to death, they arrayed themselves in their most solemn dress, they who had held curule offices in their robes of white with the broad scarlet border, they who had won triumphs in their robes of triumph overlaid with embroidery of many colors, and with palm branches of gold, and took their seats each on his ivory chair of magistracy in the gateway of his house. When the Gauls saw these aged men in this array of majesty, sitting motionless amidst the confusion of the sack of the city, they at first looked upon them as more than human, and one of the soldiers drew near to Marcus Papirius, and began to stroke reverently his long white beard. Papirius, who was a minister of the gods, could not endure the touch of profane barbarian hands, and struck the Gaul over the head with his ivory scepter. Instantly the spell of reverence was broken, and rage and thirst of blood succeeded to it. The Gaul cut down the old Papirius with his sword. His comrades were kindled at the sight, and all the old men, according to their vow, were offered up as victims to the powers of death. The enemy now turned their attention to the capital. But the appearance of the Capitoline Hill in the fourth century of Rome can ill be judged of by that view which travellers obtain of its present condition. The rock, which is now so concealed by the houses built up against it, or by artificial slopings of the ground, as to be only visible in a few places, formed at that time a natural defence of precipitous cliff all round the hill, and there was only one access to the summit from below, the clivus or ascent to the capital. By this single approach the Gauls tried to storm the citadel, but they were repulsed with loss and after this attempt they contented themselves with blockading the hill, and extending their devastations over the neighboring country of Latium. It is even said that they penetrated into the south of Italy, and a Gaulish army is reported to have reached Apulia, 
whilst a portion of their forces was still engaged in blockading the Roman garrison in the capital. Meantime, the Romans who had taken refuge at Veii had recovered from their first panic, and were daily becoming more and more reorganized. It was desirable that a communication should be opened between them and the garrison of the capital, and a young man named Pontius Cominius undertook the adventure. Accordingly, he set out from Veii, swam down the Tiber, climbed up the cliff into the capital, explained to the garrison the state of things at Veii, and returned by the same way unhurt. But when the morning came, the Gauls observed marks on the side of the cliff, which told them that someone had made his way there, either up or down, and the soil had in places been freshly trodden away, and the bushes which grew here and there on the face of the ascent had been crushed or torn from their hold, as if by someone treading on them or clinging to them for support. So, being thus made aware that the cliff was not impracticable, they proceeded by night to scale it. The spot, being supposed to be inaccessible, was not guarded. The top of the rock was not even defended by a wall. In silence and in darkness the Gauls made their way up the cliff. No sentinel perceived them. Even the watchdogs, said the story, heard them not, and gave no alarm. But on the part of the hill by which the enemy were ascending stood the temple of the three guardian gods of the capital and of Rome, Jupiter, Juno, and Minerva. And in this precinct there were certain geese kept, which were sacred to Juno. And even amidst their distress for food, the Romans, said the old story, had spared the birds which were protected by the goddess. So now, in the hour of danger, the geese heard the sound of the enemy, and began to cry in their fear, and to flap their wings, and Marcus Manlius, whose house was in the capital hard by the temple, was aroused by them, and he sprang up and seized sword and shield, and called to his comrades and ran to the edge of the cliff. And behold, a Gaul had just reached the summit, when Marcus rushed upon him and dashed the rim of his shield into his face, and tumbled him down the rock. The Gaul, as he fell, bore down those who were mounting behind him, and the rest were dismayed, and dropped their arms to cling more closely to the rock. And so the Romans, who had been roused by the call of Marcus, slaughtered them easily, and the capital was saved. Then all so honored the brave deed of Marcus Manlius, that each man gave him from his own scanty store one day's allowance of food, namely, half a pound of corn, and a measure containing five ounces in weight of wine. End of section 48